This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. You've likely heard the expression, or seen the meme, what a year this week has been. It's a coping mechanism, employing gallows humor for the trauma of recent times. Whether it's the stress of the 2020 election cycle, the protests for social justice, an attack on the Capitol, or most often and seemingly omnipresent, the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, this year has finally been, literally, a year. On March 11th, 2020, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. The lockdowns and quarantines seen first in China and Europe made their way across the globe. Professional athletics suspended their seasons, and the United States Congress began formulating a legislative response at the same time that the institution tried to figure out how to operate safely amid the spread of a deadly disease. Here at Political Theater, we quickly recalibrated how to produce our podcasts in a way that tried to make sense of this extraordinary and difficult time. For the people who make this journalism possible, they've had to balance how to do their jobs while keeping safe. I'm going to talk to two of my political theater co-hosts, Catherine Tully-McManus and Jim Saxa, about the changes we've seen in the last year in Congress and how it operates. What are some of the changes that could be lasting and which ones will fade as we get vaccinated and it becomes safer to gather in public settings? And... What are some of the lingering uncertainties we face, even as we're seeing glimmers of hope? So, Catherine, so, Jim, we are one year into this thing, uh, and you are reporting about some of the things that we've learned, some of the things that have changed, some of the things that uh, are changing and may go back to the way they are or they were or things that may stay the same for a while. Uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that, that you've learned. Uh, Catherine, you had the, this very broad uh, canvas that we gave you to talk about like how congressional operations may change. Let's, let's talk about some of the things that have changed that are probably here to stay. Absolutely. Um, an interesting conversation that I had this week was with the Modernization Committee's chairman, Derek Kilmer. Um, He has a very unique lens on this because what happened during the pandemic is some of those proposals that the Select Committee on Modernization of Congress had put forth um, were either implemented or really accelerated during this time. Um, a lot of their recommendations were about things like technology, um, flexible staffing, um, things like that. Um, and he really focused on, first of all, the technology front. Um, there was a realization at the beginning of this pandemic that many offices who are required to have a continuity of operations plan um, Some offices had not updated those since the 2001 anthrax attacks on Capitol Hill. Um, So things like Zoom were not included in the continuity of operations plans. Uh, Things like everyone having a cell phone. Or a laptop. (laughs) Right, or a laptop. Um, What I can say, when we're recording this, exactly a year ago, 
on this day, I wrote a story about the scramble to get staffers laptops because most of them were, or many of them, I should say, were dependent on, you know, a hefty desktop computer um, and were not prepared to work from home. That capability that everyone has been forced to adopt, no matter what level of Luddite you might be in the United States Congress, Kilmer and a few other lawmakers that I talked to talked about the potential for this in the post-pandemic world, opening doors for a potential culture shift in how remote work or working from home is seen on Capitol Hill, less by lawmakers, but more by staff. Um, A big concern that both the Modernization Committee and Legislative Branch Appropriations has been concerned with for multiple years now is a brain drain on Capitol Hill. People either have kids or get to a phase in their life where they can get paid a lot more with a lot better work-life balance to work on similar issues, um, whether on K Street or advocacy groups or wherever else. Um, And the hope there is hope that um, everyone having buy-in on some level of work from home could open the door for parents to feel more comfortable staying on Capitol Hill or um, give people flexibility to take a three-day weekend um, but work on the Friday at their destination, that kind of thing, which seems so minor when you're thinking about all that Congress does. But it's huge in terms of maintaining um, expertise and longevity for some of these staffers, um, you know, who are key parts of the legislative framework. And Jim, a lot of the reporting that you've done uh, recently is about, you know, how about some of these cultural type shifts that Catherine was talking about. Like it's it's it isn't even so much like the operation of something, but like how people how people's perceptions are changing. And a recent story that you you've done is about the, the kind of the, the, the sports, you know, the, this sort of niche niche tradition, as you described it of congressional sports for charity and so forth and how that's changed. Like, how has that changed in the last year? Because that's a big part of this culture and people are expected to show up for it. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the obvious uh, difference last year is that all of these charity games are canceled. Right. Um, you know, in some regards, uh, you know, things went on as usual in that uh, I, I know that the Congressional Hockey uh, Championship, they, the sponsors for that still gave. Um, looking forward and sort of looking forward towards uh, a return to normalcy, uh, the organizers of all these charity games, which, you know, are, are, have varying levels of belovedness on the Hill, um, but you know, the biggest one is probably the baseball game that's held in nationals park and attracts a crowd that frankly, uh, you know, could rival what the nationals used to, uh, bring when they first started, uh, a little bit over a decade ago. And, um, you know, th- there's planning going on now for, for these games. Uh, they seem to mostly be hoping for a late September, uh, return. Uh, that's a little bit later. Uh, some of them are usually in March, like uh, the hockey game. Uh, uh, the basketball games, they were hoping to do around March Madness, a women's game, uh, you know, women uh, members and staff versus uh, women uh, lobbyists. But they're scrapping that for this year. They're looking next year again for that. 
and then a co-ed game they, they're also hoping to do later in the year. So, so it's almost like Congress is usually a year behind on everything, and they're kind of a year behind because the NBA and NHL canceled last March and moved everything to the fall, and that's what Congress is doing with its sports now. <laughs> yeah, um, they're, they're a little bit slower than the guys in the NBA and NHL in pretty much everything, uh, especially actual floor speed and skating speed. Probably, um, yeah, no, it, and and the one of the things that you talked about, you know, like the, in in one of your stories is is this expectation that you know, like they're that most of the audience is probably people who are employed by either the lobbyists or the lawmakers or or you know fellow journalists in the case of the congressional softball game. Uh, I mean, that seems like the almost the the thing that will be the hardest to get back. I mean, we saw this surge in, in attendance at a lot of these games, particularly the baseball game, that might be hard to recover. Yeah, I mean, uh, the softball game in particular, they're talking about moving uh, the game from where it's usually held at Watkins Elementary, just a few blocks away from the Capitol, to a larger uh, space uh, because, you know, they'll want to socially distance. Um yeah, it'll be really interesting to see in general uh, what's going to happen in terms of will people work from home. There's expensive cities broadly like D.C. and also New York and San Francisco have seen a bit of an exodus during the pandemic. And there are differing uh, theories about uh, among economists about what's going to happen. Uh, Adam Osmek at uh, Upwork has argued that this is going to be sort of a permanent shift and that Smaller, cheaper cities, uh, especially those in nicer climates, uh, will see a lot of people who can work remotely, that learn that they can work remotely, move permanently. Will that happen in D.C. where so much of the work is who you know and maintaining those strong social connections? I don't know. Um, Maybe that's different than the tech world and the finance world. Um, and some other places, but it'll be really interesting to see if, you know, there are fewer staffers on, on the Hill going forward. And Catherine, we, um, we saw this sort of, I mean, this lightning speed change in the way the institutions, uh, work, particularly the house so the Senate to a lesser degree, um, that they, they sort of kept the in-person voting and so forth, but the house adopted proxy voting, uh, they they set up a system where you didn't actually have to physically file legislation <laughs> or amendments in a in a physical hopper because you know it, you could end up dead uh, and so like you could file it electronically that makes sense. What are some of the things that are that might be like you know, what that we saw come online, if you will, in the last year? What are some things that we think might be going away as is as, as people get vaccinated, as people open up offices and so forth? I will say that um, proxy voting will have a hard end at some point, but multiple lawmakers, including those in leadership, are talking about examining how it could be narrowly used. In the future, it was put in place, of course, as an emergency measure. Nobody, I don't think, believed that we would be into a new Congress and still having proxy voting on a limited basis. Um, Something Steny Hoyer, um, Majority Leader of the House, said yesterday was that he thinks there will be a discussion about what to look at in terms of remote voting post-COVID. And Derek Kilmer 
he would not put a position, whether he is in favor of continuing proxy voting or letting it um, die with the pandemic. But he did bring up an interesting point, which is situations where there have been lawmakers, dozens of lawmakers undergo cancer treatment and are gone for months at a time from casting votes on the floor. Um, Not necessarily because they're too sick to put their card in the electronic card reader, but because traveling is not feasible for them. And the same is a conversation around parental leave. And if lawmaker has a baby and takes leave after giving birth, um, should they not have the ability to still voice their um, opinion on legislation moving to the floor? Um, And I think those are situations where I don't expect to see anything come together immediately post-pandemic, but there will be an ongoing conversation about um, the inclusivity of in-person only voting, no matter what your health or emergency condition might be. Um, In terms of the hopper, the e-hopper, where AIDS used to, before the pandemic, had to physically drop off copies of... um, requests to be co-sponsors on things, uh, bills, um, amendments, things like that, to either the speaker's lobby or the cloakrooms, the Democratic and Republican cloakrooms. That was changed in April. Um, And I will say that Pelosi's office has not made a commitment of any of the changes staying. But the House Rules Committee did make a change that they anticipate staying, which is Lawmakers used to have to send a staffer with multiple copies of each amendment that they wanted to put forth um, to the House Rules Committee. Um, For big bills, it would result in a line reaching two two floors down the Capitol, just zigging and zagging down sets of stairs. Um, And that is all online now and instantaneous. Jim, you mentioned, you know, that some of the, you know, people who study the culture of work, you know, they're, they're saying that like things like the remote voting or remote uh, work is, is probably going to favor, you know, some of these um, smaller cities and so forth. But when, when you were talking to some, some people for the, the stories that you're uh, working on, like, what was the, what was the feeling? I mean, did you get the sense that some of them really actually do want to be back in the capital? That they that they're like craving the interaction because the you know the capital is kind of a it's a very unique place. Does anybody miss it, or are they just like, nope? I really like working in my pajamas. <laughs> no, I I think the capital is full of extroverts who are desperate to get back and be talking to people. Um, I think uh, it's it's a it's a culture that people really value FaceTime uh, um, and Zoom is not cutting it uh, by any regard. So I suspect uh, of, of among the core, you know, especially the staff, and the members, they're going to rush back uh, as soon as it is safe. Uh, they feel safe. Um, and I think that really goes for the broader city, uh, you know, K Street and the rest. Uh, these are all people that sort of live in that same world. And, you know, again, uh, there's no place quite like this where it's who you know and just having connections and making connections and 
you know, getting coffees and getting beers after work matters as much as it does here. And I think people are just really champing at the bit to, you know, rush back to places like cups, uh, in, you know, the set of basement and, you know, uh, you know, bars like, uh, union pub, even, you know, like right off, uh, the hill. Catherine, uh, one of the, one of the sort of outstanding issues that we really don't know is what, is going to be this sort of uh, access? Are people going to be back in the office buildings? This is this may be less COVID related and more security, but it you know because of the January sixth attacks. But they're they're almost feel kind of joined conjoined issues. Um, we don't know what kind of access the public is going to have uh, to the office buildings in particular, do we? No, and there is not any indication yet of when public access might resume in terms of um, meetings and tours for the public. Um, Basically all uh, either conjecture or planning about when those opportunities might resume again uh, were completely thrown into chaos along with everything else on January 6th. Um, the question is now combined uh, public health, health and safety with a physical safety. Um, I cannot imagine that any school tours would be coming through a razor wire barricade manned by the National Guard to go look at the rotunda. Um, that doesn't seem in in anyone's interest or who would be interested uh, at that point. Um, And in terms of public access to the office buildings, that remains unclear. Those were um, more open during COVID. Uh, You needed an appointment. You could not just enter and go to your lawmaker's office, for example, as you used to be able to. Um, But there are conversations happening about how open should those be? The Capitol building itself has always had tighter security um, than the office buildings because the office buildings are seen as a place where you can walk into your congressman's office and talk to staff. Um, So we will see if that differentiation in security gets flattened a little bit post-COVID. Before we wrap up, I, uh, you know, I wanted to sort of give you each the opportunity to talk about, you know, like kind of this, you know, again, there's in some ways there's nothing special about like the fact that it's 365 days later from a particular event. But on the other hand, like this is something that we construct. These things are important. Birthdays are important. Anniversaries are important. You know, milestones are important. Um, Jim, let's start with you. This has been a, you know, a difficult pandemic year. Um, You know, what, uh, what do you, uh, what was, a particularly difficult or enlightening kind of moment uh, for, for you uh, in the, in the past year? Well, uh, yeah, it's been hard, right? Um, you know, there's, there's no denying that, but, uh, and, and, you know, to keep it a little positive, you know, and, and you know, enlightening um, at the start of this, I, uh, um, decided to basically quickly move in with my girlfriend into uh, her tiny studio apartment. Uh, it was 595 square feet. Um, and we thought it'd be like a lot of people, just a couple of weeks. Uh, and then, you know, 
fast forward six months, we're still working, you know, side by side, never further than 10 feet apart and uh, didn't hate each other. Um, so uh, <laughs> that seemed like a good sign. And, I was going to uh, say, good sign. Don't hate yeah, each other. <laughs> exactly. Like we got along still. And so, uh, you know, I, I asked her to marry me and she said yes. And, uh, you know, we, we got a new place where we get to be like 20 feet apart. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been really great. But at the same time, like as great as that, like, I, I feel like that's as good as it gets in this year. Like I, I hit a wall, you know, just last week. I just couldn't, couldn't work and... You know, I blew a deadline and it's just like, I was just spent and just pandemic had won that week. And I think we're all undergoing that. Even, you know, someone like me who's really lucky in that no one that I'm close with has, uh, you know, been uh, killed by this horrible disease. Um, speaking of anniversaries and, you know, you're a, you're a Philly guy, it's the, around the 50th anniversary of the first Ali Frazier fight. And even though the pandemic might have won this round, as you recall, there were three Ali Frazier fights. (laughs) So we, we, uh, you know, that's, that, that's good. We're, uh, we're still, we're still here and congratulations on your, on your engagement. Catherine, uh, you know, we've, uh, we have spent more time video conferencing uh, <laughs> than uh, as, as a team and in some particularly challenging situations in the last year. Um, what what uh, what are your what's your kind of reflection on this um, rough uh, year that we've gone through? Well, I will say one of my strongest memories of the beginning of it all was that I wrote a, a what was intended to be a front page story for roll call, basically saying the world is shutting down, but the Capitol is still open to the public. Um, what's going on? Uh, and I was halfway to Union Station when the announcement that they were actually going to close the Capitol came out. I jogged back to the Capitol to rewrite that front page story with you. Um, yeah, this year obviously has been like no other. I, um, I learned very quickly that relationships, uh, working relationships that I had developed with lawmakers, um, if I couldn't be face-to-face with a lawmaker, that meant nothing to staffers. Um, you know, lawmakers who coming down a hallway say, hey, Catherine, um, I couldn't get past, you know, their comms director via email or phone right. um, and realizing a recalculation in honestly, like the way I approach my job had to happen. I was on the Hill about one day a week for this whole year. Um, So I did get to see the changes occur on Capitol Hill, which I think was helpful for me in like conceptualizing where things stood. Um, But I think most memorably, I got COVID at the Capitol and uh, spent Christmas and New Year's pretty sick. None of the scariest, no hospitalization, but nothing made reality hit as hard as that, I don't think. And and that was like months after the first scare where we saw, you know, the, we saw photos of you standing next to Rand Paul as he was, you know, in the time frame for him testing positive uh, yeah. in, in the early days. And that scared the 
crap out of all of us. Uh, and, and so you survive that, <laughs> that scare. Uh, yes. uh, and, and months later, yeah, it, it, it came back. So no, I mean, this is, I, I really like, I can't say enough about like how great it is to work, uh, you know, with, with you guys. I mean, it's, it has been just this enormous, like sort of undertaking that, I don't think any of us could have even possibly imagined like how it would work and the walls we would hit and, and the way that we'd be challenged and how we come out of it. So um, thank you for, for, you know, for doing this and thank you for being my colleague. Absolutely. Thank you, man. As for me, I'll start by saying it's weird. I have been extraordinarily fortunate that I have been able to stay healthy in the last year and have been able to do meaningful work amid the horror of this pandemic. Covering Congress and politics is never an easy job. It got a lot harder this year, and it felt more important than ever. The threats to our health and safety, whether they came from respiratory pathogens or extremists attacking the Capitol, have a way of focusing the mind at the task at hand. I cringe a little bit when I hear people discuss a return to normal. Not because I want to extend the stress and uncertainty of the times, but because I don't think there is a return necessarily. There will be a new normal, and it will evolve as we go along. I have a deeper appreciation for what journalism can do, why it's important, and why it's needed more than ever. And I get to keep doing it. I hope the work of my colleagues and myself has helped keep a light on what's going on during these dark times. I'm more committed than ever to making sure the light stays on, even when it gets safer and we can relax a little bit. Thanks for listening to Political Theater. 